Now we're going to read from God's Word. We are in the book of Galatians. I'm going to again this week read from Galatians 5, verse 16 through verse 26. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord. Well, we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and part of what that means is we're looking at what a person becomes when they follow Christ. So when you become a believer, it's not not only that you adopt some new beliefs. When a person becomes a Christian, God begins a work inside of you. God starts a work inside you. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new spirit. It's his spirit. It's it's the Holy Spirit which comes into you for the first time. and, And he begins a personal renovation on your inner person. The theological words for this are regeneration and sanctification. Regeneration, you get a new heart. You get a tender heart when before your heart was was stone. Sanctification, day by day, the Holy Spirit in you gradually, perceptively alters and grows your character so that you increasingly, you resemble Jesus. Now, this passage lists the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that's produced in your person, and we looked at the first of these last week, the first fruit, part of the fruit, love. We're going to look at the second part of the fruit of the Spirit today, which is joy. Now, if you're someone who's who's investigating Christianity, this is something that's especially worth noting. We live in a world that is filled with anguish, a world that's filled with grief. Christianity offers joy. Now, what is joy? Well, joy is gladness. Joy is delight. But joy in the Bible, it goes even deeper than that, deeper than gladness, deeper than delight. 
joy taps into something that it's it's in it's both in our our primordial identity it taps into our primordial primordial identity but it also joy in the bible taps into into our destiny where we're headed c.s lewis wrote this about true joy about the christian joy he said all joy all joy reminds all joy reminds it is never a possession it's always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. And so what he's saying is here, this, this joy, the joy in the Bible, the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, this joy connects to something in our deep past, in the original design of, of humanity. And this joy also, it pulls us, it points us forward to something in our highest future, where, where we are meant to be. And so there's a difference between happiness and true joy. And there's a difference between pleasure and this robust joy that the Bible is talking about. So, so for instance, you might be happy. You might legitimately be happy when, when Monday is a holiday. It's a vacation day. But that happiness, it, it steps higher. It steps into joy when the day off, even just the prospect of this day off, it takes you back. It takes you back to a childhood Thanksgiving where, where all of your families came together and there were cousins and there were grandparents and they spent the whole afternoon on the day off in laughter and in stories of, of maybe grandma's driver's license and that, that story that they all come together. Or you might have pleasure. The pleasure that you have when you, you just take a bite of a french fry and it's a really good french fry. It's the perfect french fry and it, that's, just, that's just pleasure. But that pleasure, it starts to step into to joy when that pleasure connects you to something that's coming. Maybe there's a, a cookout that's coming. And at that cookout that you've planned, there will be old friends whose love over all these years has been undiminished. No matter how distant they've become by geography, no matter how long it's been, the pleasure starts to step into what we would say is joy. Tonight we're going to look at the joy that's produced by the Holy Spirit. Look at three things about this joy. First of all, we'll look at the reasons for Christian joy. The reasons for Christian joy. Secondly, we'll look at the experience of joy. The experience of joy. And then thirdly, a future of joy. So the reasons for Christian joy, the experience of this joy, and a future of joy. Christianity is a faith that I think you could say it has, it has a backbone of joy. Joy in, in the Christian faith is a strong, deep undercurrent that runs through our faith. And joy is, is always close to the surface in Christianity. You can think of examples like Paul and Silas. They were in the worst of circumstances in many ways. They were chained in a dungeon. They had been beaten. But what do they do? They sing. They have joy, even in darkness. Now, what, what are the reasons for Christian joy? We'll look at four reasons. Four reasons for Christian joy. Four reasons that the Christian expects to encounter joy. And the first reason for Christian joy, the first reason is that God himself is full of joy. Now, that's a good check for all of us because all of us have some kind of conception of what God is like. 
What's your conception of God? Specifically, what, what is your conception of, of God's normal baseline disposition? Is God kind of just this, this blank flatness? Is that his disposition? Or, or is your perception that God is this exacting God? He's, he's always ready. He's always noticing every time you slip, every time you, you have a fault. He, he's the kind, in your conception of him, he's, he's quick to point out, quick to, to criticize. And, and maybe for you, he's always like right on the edge of, of irritation or even anger. What is your conception of God? The Bible tells us that God, here's a picture of what God's disposition is, is like. The Bible tells us that God, before, before the creation of all things, God existed and, and God the Son existed. And that pre-existence before this material creation, they lived in joy. They lived in pleasure and delight in each other. A joy, a love between the divine Father and the divine Son. Places like John 17, Jesus says, I in them, he's speaking about his people, I in them, you, he's speaking to the Father, you and me, I in them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And then Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me for, and then here's, here's, the, here's the preexistent state of the Father and the Son, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so what he's saying here is, before the making of the universe, Jesus Christ the Son already existed, and he was glorious, he was wondrous, and the Father loved that about him, and the Father loved him, and the Father delighted in him, and the Son, if you could say it this way, the Son sparked joy in the Father. And not only then, but even at the creation of the world, Jesus the Son and God the Father, they had joy. Think of places like Proverbs 8, 30. And then I, and it's Christ speaking here. He, he's personifying wisdom. Then I was beside him. He's speaking of God the Father. Then I, Christ, was beside him, God, as a master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. And so at the creation we hear, Jesus daily was the delight of the Father. And at the creation, Jesus, who was at the side of his Father, he had joy always before him. And so God the Father and God the Son, they know joy and they even abound in joy. When they get together, when they do things, it's joyful. And so for those of you who have grown up with this, you've, you've heard the attributes of God, the doctrine of God, the works of God, the names of God. That's all very important and good. But, but sometimes we get so exposed to it, it can start to sound abstract. It can start to sound technical. But you, you want to have the flavor of what the scriptures tell us. This glimpse, you could say this, you could say that the, the Father and the Son, they had fun. It was more than fun. And it was holy. They had fun. They experienced wow together. They, you, could, you could, I mean, this, 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 this makes it too small. They had a smiling pleasure in each other and in what each other were doing. It was like they were at a concert. When you're at a good concert, what happens? When a really good concert, you cheer. You, you, you're moved by it. 
a smile breaks out on your face. And this was true not just between the father and the son. This was true for the entirety of whoever was populating heaven. They also had joy. It says the angels shared the joy in the creation of the worlds. Job 38, 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, and it's talking about the angels of heaven, when all the sons of God shouted for joy. And so, because God himself is full of joy, the Christian faith is also full of joy. Now, a second reason for Christian joy. Here's a second reason for Christian joy. God delivered you when you were desperate. God delivered you when you were desperate. And you can think of how it feels when maybe you, you're in a situation where you've got concerning symptoms in your, your, own, your own body. And they're concerning enough that you go to a doctor. Maybe you go to the ER. And when you're there, it gets worse. The doctor confirms that these symptoms indicate a condition that is serious, very serious. And the doctor sends you home with that and says, we'll call you about treatment options. And so you go home, you're worried. And you're wondering, this is a serious condition. You, go, you read about it and you're wondering, will I die? Or, or will I live, but will my life be severely limited by this serious condition? And you're waiting. And then, after however many days, the doctor calls back. And the doctor says, your lab reports came back. Your condition is serious. You do have this. But your condition is treatable. And your condition is entirely treatable. There is a known cure which is always successful for your condition. You were desperate And then when you receive the news, then you're relieved. And that's a sense of of the joy of our salvation in Christ. Sin was the sickness, and it was serious. Your sin was a sickness, and it was killing you, your pride, your, your lusts. But then you met Jesus Christ, and you saw the deadness, the deadliness of your position and you put your case in his hands. You, you, you gave over the entirety of your health into his hands. And by his death and by his punishment in your place, he saved you. He, he cleared your record. He changed your heart. And now you're saved. And the weight, the weight of regret that you have for all the bad decisions you made in your life, all of that is removed. It's forgiven. And you start to taste joy because of that. that that's joy in salvation. Psalm 20, verse 5, we will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. So this is the second reason for Christian joy, the joy of salvation. Now, a third reason for Christian joy, a third reason for Christian joy is this. God brings you into his inner circle. God brings you into his inner circle. Song of Solomon 2, verse 4. He brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Now, isn't it the case that so much of the pain in our life, so much of the pain in our life, it's, it's social. It has to do with the relationships that we have or that we don't have with other people. We sense that we've been put out. We sense that, we're, sense that we're outcasts. We sense that we're on the outside. And sometimes the 
the exclusion that we experience, the social exclusion, it's hard. It's emphatic. It's very clear. Maybe it's something like what it would have been like during, during segregation years in America. It's like, it's like for you, the signs are in all the windows. No blacks allowed. And you think, okay, that's very clear. I am on the outside. But sometimes the exclusion, it's subtle. And, and, and everyone knows something of this. You're in the room with the others, but you're not at the table. You're in the group, but you're not really wanted there. You're in the group, but, but you're not truly in. You're not part of the intimate and the, the valued core. But in the Christian faith, and, and as a result of the gospel, you are all the way in with God. And he gives us so many pictures to confirm this. You're, you're not just a servant in his house. You're a son. You're a daughter. And you're not just a citizen in his kingdom. You're a prince there. You're a priest. He, does not just, he doesn't just tolerate your presence. He adores you. And your name is inscribed in his hands. He tattooed your name on his hands because he's crazy about you. And that's a reason for joy. It's an answer to the human longing to belong. The deep human longing to be welcomed, to be valued, to be loved. Jesus Christ brings in strangers and he makes them his lifelong friends. That should stir joy. Luke 10, 20. Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the, the spirits are subject to you. His, his disciples have just come back and they've done amazing things. And he's saying, that's great but even better than being very talented? Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. If you're a believer, there's a book, there's a legal document, there's a comprehensive roster, and your name is in that. A fourth reason for Christian joy, it's the repair of all that is wrong. The repair of all that is wrong. The planet, the planet is aching. There are wars, there are earthquakes, there are floods, there are people who are very sick. Some of it's, some of it's just unjust. The killing of the unborn. Who, who is capable of weighing the moral cost of tens of millions of aborted children? That's just, that's just one thing. And racial injustice, just that you could take one instance in the history of, of racial injustice. Hundreds of black people murdered in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. There was not a single prosecution. There never has been. It's unresolved. But what about, a, what about at a personal level, at a at one-on-one individual level? Like, what about the employer who does not provide for you as was promised? Or, or your own family and your own family mess and the lies that were spread about you, and they've never been corrected, or the bully who who gets away with hurting you. God is going to repair all that's wrong. God is going to repair all that is wrong. He will bring justice to every injustice, and when he comes, his justice will bring joy. Many places in scripture tell us this. One place in the Bible depicts this, this worldwide joy that is going to break out 
when God brings justice. Isaiah 35, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble needs, knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then verse 10, and the ransomed, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And this hope of justice, this hope of repair, joy is coming, joy is near. So these are some of the reasons for Christian joy. Now I want to turn to the, the experience of joy, the experience of joy. The Christian faith does not merely give you a list of good thoughts, of intellectual reasons that are worth probing. The Christian faith comes in contact with you. If you're investigating Christianity, learn about this system of thought. It is a system of thought, but it also it comes in contact with you. It will rattle you, it will challenge you, it may infuriate you, and it will tell you you are wrong, and it will show you the most beautiful thing that you wouldn't dare to believe unless it perhaps is really true. The Holy Spirit enters you when you become a Christian, if you're a believer, and he stirs something in your mind and in your heart so that you experience joy. We've talked about how the Father and the Son before creation experienced this joy, this, this delight. It was like full being gladness and cheer. You can also experience the same joy that the Father and the Son experience. Have you experienced this joy? Do you experience this joy? It's a joy that God gives. It comes from God, Romans 15, 13. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, he can fill you with all joy. And as we look at this, it's, it's an invita invitation. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you tonight to experience this joy. And first of all, I, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to experience joy in God himself. I'm inviting you to experience this joy and it's a joy in just, in God, in God himself. There's something about God, the real God, the living and the true God, that will give joy if, if you can have him, if you can get to God, if, if you can access God, this joy comes over you. Psalm 16, verse nine. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. 
At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. And so this is something I'm inviting you to experience for yourself. I'm, I'm inviting you to be discontented. If this is not your experience of God, if you don't have God in this way, in the presence of God, there, there, there are these times when, when you approach God, maybe, maybe you're by yourself and you're approaching him in prayer, maybe you're reading his word and you're knowing his thoughts and, and you sense that you're before him. That there's a, there's a, and there's a fullness of, of joy that you start to tap into in his presence. I'm asking you, have you tasted that? Do you want to taste that? I'm inviting you to taste that. And, and if you haven't, have you asked him for that? Have you asked him and, and searched for it? The way you would be scanning a crowd and looking for, for someone familiar in the mix of people. If, if you can get into the place where you are with, truly with the person of God, and you know him, you will find that there's this complex reaction inside of you, in, in, your, in your human heart. You'll have this, this fear and this, this overmastering awe of God, and, and then you'll sense the goodness and the love of God, which is so deep. And then you also see in there this joy, a fullness of joy in his presence. Now, you're hearing all that, and you might think, okay, that, that sounds emotional, that sounds mystical, all I can say is that it's real. And if it's not real to you, you can look for it. God can give it to you. It's not automatic. You could go for days. You could go for weeks. Maybe, maybe you could go for years. But if you seek his face, you will find him. God says, seek my face. We reply, your face, Lord. I will seek. And so I invite you to experience joy in just God himself. Now, secondly, I want to invite you to experience joy in the worshiping community. Joy in the worshiping community. This joy, this joy of the spirit, it is also accessed in community. In community with those who worship God together. And, and so that's one of the reasons why church worship, worship together on the Lord's Day, that's, why, that's part of why it's so significant. Psalm 95. Oh, come. Let us, he's talking about the worshiping community. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. And so when you come, with the congregation, to worship God, with other followers of Christ. And when you sing, and when you sing from the heart, with intention, you're, you're, you're able to access the presence of God in a different way than when you're by yourself. You're able to access this joy in the Lord that you can't quite access on your own. One of the places that we find God, one of the places, is not the only place, one of the places where we will find the presence of God is when we come to him in the assembly, in the congregation of his saints, as it says in the scripture. And so, do you want to find the presence of God? Well, come to church. It, it's his body. This is his dwelling place. He calls it Emmanuel, God with us. Now, thirdly, I, I want to invite you to experience joy in obedience. I'm inviting you to experience joy in obeying God. For the Christian, you're never saved 
by your obedience. You're saved by faith in the sacrifice and in the obedience of Jesus Christ. But you are saved so that you can walk in obedience. And as you do that, as you follow Christ and as you love Jesus and as you obey his commands, you'll find that there's a joy in obedience. And some of the things that Jesus will ask you as you read his word, some of the things he asks you is they're hard. And Jesus tells you, if you want to follow me, are you willing to give up anything that you find dear to follow me? For the rich young ruler, Jesus asked him to give up his possessions. For other people, Jesus might ask you to give up your comfortable life. Or Jesus might ask you to give up a relationship that you feel that you must have in order to have happiness. Jesus says, I am carrying a cross. I'm carrying a cross. And if you want to follow me, you must take up and carry your own cross. But as you do that, and in that obedience, you'll find joy. Not just a little joy, a fullness of joy, the scriptures say. John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And so what he's saying is, as you love Jesus, as you love Jesus, as you love Jesus, like he's the best thing that ever happened to you. And as you love him, you remember his directions. And, and you, you, you find that you bend your will to his words. You obey his commands. And as your love turns into to obedience, your obedience blossoms into joy. Now, have, haven't you experienced that before? If you're, if you're already a Christian, haven't you experienced that before? Maybe it's, it's like this. There's, there's, someone whom, there's someone whom you hate they, because they made your life miserable. They did terrible things, but you're a Christian now. And you know that one of the things that Jesus commands you is Jesus commands you to love one another, to love even your enemy. And he commands you to forgive those who wrong you. And so you realize, I need to take an ax to my hatred. It's got to come down. And, and then you, with God's power, you start to love that person and you forgive them. And, and as you do that, as you did that, what did you experience? Didn't you find that there was a joy in your heart? A, a pleasure in the divine goodness that was now at work in you? It just, it just felt so right. Now, fourthly, I want, to, I want to invite you to experience joy in knowing Jesus. I'm inviting you to experience the joy in knowing Jesus. Christianity is, is a set of beliefs and practices. It does involve doctrines and disciplines, and those are all essential. But you must, in addition to that, you must enter into a marriage, enter into a relationship. You must become a daughter. You must become a son. You must become a friend of God and walk with him. And when you do that, when you come to know Jesus, you find a joy. And you find in that joy, it's the joy that all other lesser joys that you ever experience, they were just signaling this greater joy. It's like when you hear 
for the first time in your life a song and you realize this song is perfect. And you find that all those other songs that you, you enjoyed and you heard before, they just contained fragments of the fullness of that joy in that song. Look at, look at the joy when this, this man, Zacchaeus, came to meet Jesus. Zacchaeus was rich, but everyone hated him. Luke 19, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, Jesus looked up and saw Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. Jesus met Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus met Jesus and Jesus entered Zacchaeus' house and Jesus entered Zacchaeus' life in a permanent friendship on that day. And so you've got places like 1 John, 1 John 1, 2, that describe the experience of being in this lifetime engagement and interaction with Jesus. 1 John 1, 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. There's a full joy that you can have when you enter into this fellowship, this deep friendship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. It's a communing between you and Jesus. He hears you. You hear him. He directs you. He moves things in your life. He tests you. He may correct you. He comforts you. And the more you know him, the more you go further with him, the greater your joy. Unlike other friends, unlike other friends, Jesus becomes more interesting, more delightful as you know him. He becomes more lovely, more admirable as you know him. First, First Peter 1, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Yeah, you can't see Jesus, but that won't stop you from tapping into this love and to this joy in him. And what he's saying here is, the more that I know Jesus, even though I can't see him, I love him. And the longer I go, I'm so glad he saved me. He saved me. And I have a joy that I can't even put into words. Now, as we close, there's a problem because, because for some of us, joy is, joy is rarely the note that's playing. You're, you're suffering. Your body may be unwell. Your heart may be just sick and broken. Or maybe you're carrying burdens for loved ones who are very hard-pressed and you're not glad you're groaning. And for you, where's, where's joy? All is dark. Or all, all is gray and flat. Where, where is joy then? How, how could you possibly access this joy? All this, this talk can sound so poetic and impossible. Let me close by talking about a future of joy. Maybe you don't have joy today. But for the Christian, you have joy in the future you certainly will. Well, how do you hold on? How do you, how do you pursue joy when these are days of sowing with tears? You need to see Jesus Christ in the gospel. In the gospel for, for an eternity. 
for an eternity before the universe existed, Jesus only experienced joy, the joy of the Father and the Son, the delight of the Son and the Father. He, if you could put it this way, he lived a charmed life. And in the gospel, Jesus gave up his joy to become the man of sorrows, bearing our sins, carrying our sorrows for a joy to come, for a joy that was set before him, a future joy. And so what that's saying is Jesus lost his joy so that you could know the joy of salvation, so that you could know the joy of heaven and the joy of having Jesus come into your life and into your home forever. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And do you know what else did that accomplish? What else did that accomplish? By losing his joy, Jesus gave God great joy. Because Jesus lost his joy, God takes great joy in you if you believe. The righteous obedience of Jesus, if you believe, becomes your righteous obedience in the sight of God. And that means when God sees you, he takes joy in you. He takes joy in you with the joy that he has in Jesus, the sinless one. Listen to God's joy over you, Christian. Zephaniah 3. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And then Isaiah 62 You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Does God rejoice over you? Do you believe that you are a joy to him? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we're so often just flat or even below the surface in our, in our mood and in our, in our hopes. But you look on your people with gladness and with singing and with joy because of what Jesus has done and accomplished for us. And so, Lord, we, we pray that we would see you, we would delight ourselves in you, and that we would know more of your joy, the joy from you, the joy that is in you, the joy of our salvation. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.